Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 281, recorded January 21st, 2018. Ken, I have to boldly go. Do you? Well, that's good. Because those are the... That's the series we're doing today. I know, right? Boldly going, where no one has gone before, except, you know, for the last, what, 50 years. (laughs) And, And we're doing Journey to Babel again. But other than that, we're boldly going where no man's gone before. Right. Yeah. Um, what's funny is that uh, in my bathroom downstairs, mm-hmm. uh, my wife has a big Star Trek poster from mm-hmm. that I've had forever since uh, since uh, First Contact came out. And it's the Enterprise E, and then it just says, boldly go. Mm-hmm. And when, when she saw it, she was like, oh, this is so funny. I'm going to put it in the bathroom. <laughs> so that when people are in the bathroom, they see a big sign encouraging them to boldly, to boldly go. Exactly. And then uh, you'll recently, be more comfortable. Yeah. Last year we found uh, one of those metal signs, those embossed metal signs, and it looks like a uh, you know restroom sign with a, a man and a woman. But the man is obviously Spock, and the woman is wearing the short miniskirt from uh-huh. the original series. And, yeah. and again, it says boldly go. So that's that's on our. <laughs> entrance to the bathroom to let let people know which door is the bathroom uh, so, <laughs> and then when they go inside they see the the big enterprise too so every time i start reading these books i got to boldly go uh, at least you're supportive of your family and guests <laughs> taking care of business that's a good thing and it's good that my wife has a sense of humor and uh ran with it yes <laughs> <laughs> So, anyways. All right. So, yeah. So, today we're doing, uh, what is it? Nine, eight, nine, eight, ten? Eight, nine, and ten. Exactly. So, we're wrapping up the Kelvin timeline version of Journey to Babel and doing um, another comic. Or actually, number two comics? Yeah. Yeah. Two one-offs. Yeah. So, wrap it up. Wrap up that, uh, the Babel story, which is multi-parter, and uh, do two more stories. Of which I enjoyed the last one best. I, I liked all of them. Yeah. Well, I liked all of them, but I liked the last one a lot better than the others. Right. And uh, it does feel like we're getting closer to uh, the Enterprise being completed. So we're. it feels like we're getting closer to the end of Star Trek Beyond. Because uh, they keep talking about, you know, it's only a few months away before the Enterprise is going to be completed. So. Right. But... Well, but you look at the state it's in in the in the third issue today, and it looks like there's a lot of work to be done. Ah, they just got to put the nacelles on. Okay, <laughs> so so they're not going to wait to the for the next movie. They're going to uh, get them onto the new ship in the comic book series, even though the new movie is probably not going to come out for a while, if ever. Don't say that. Don't you dare say that. There will be another. There will be another one. It's just uh, uh, Paramount does not seem to be in a hurry. Right. Well, Beyond did not uh, do Gangbusters at the blockbuster at the box office like they wanted. 
That is true. However, all of the studios want their uh, franchises so they can crank out movies that people are familiar with and are more likely to go to. So, And this obviously is one of Paramount's crown jewels. So I right. think there will be another one, but they're going to be very careful to make sure it's something that they think a broader audience will like. And I hope, I hope that bodes well for the next one, but we'll see. Agreed. I mean, they're doing a great job with Discovery. Uh, so, I mean, it's not like they can't tell good stories in a different way to right. bring in the audiences. Yep. Um, and everybody I know that's not Trek, Trek fans that went to uh, In the Darkness and, and Beyond, they really liked it, even though they had no background in it. So they are making them, you know, so that they're open to new Broader fans. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. Um. They're dumbing down all kinds of stuff in the movies, so thumbs up. <laughs> well, I, I, I just watched Beyond again okay. uh, uh, a few nights ago, and I just love that movie. I just thoroughly enjoy it. You know, every week I say I'm going to watch it again, and I haven't, so I need to watch it again. Well, there you go. The effects are great. I thought a lot of the character bits were very nicely done. Yeah, there's some plot holes, whatever. But I, I liked it, and I liked Jayla. What's her name? Is that how you say her name? Uh, yeah, I think that's how you pronounce it, Jayla. Yeah, yeah, I really like her, and she's in these stories. So yeah, she is. I really like having her back. Yes, and I'm sure she will be back because the good thing about this is now with such a break until they get you know get the ship ship completed, she's got a chance to actually get through Starfleet Academy. Although I would think that would be a multi-year thing to get through Starfleet Academy, but whatever. Well, Kirk did it in two. Yeah. And he was captain. <laughs> <laughs> right out of the gate. Well, almost right out of the gate. So uh, the woman who played Jayla, wasn't she the woman that played um, the Enchantress in Suicide Squad? I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't think so. I'll tell you who she is, though. Who's if that? you saw uh, Kingsman... Okay. She was the assassin with the uh, lower legs that really? were like like those pieces, those metal, the metal thing. So huh. yeah, she would just run around on these curved pieces of metal that were sharp, you know, sharpened, and she would like chop people with her with her lower leg whatevers because apparently she doesn't have lower legs. Oh, that's right. She's the mummy. That's what that's what she is. Mummy. She was also the mummy in the last mummy movie. Oh, was she? Okay, yeah. I I didn't see that movie. Ah, cool. Yeah, not not the. I knew she was some sort of supernatural crate person, and I kept thinking enchantress, but yeah, she was the mummy instead. Yeah, and she was also in uh, Atomic Blonde. I have not seen that yet. I liked it. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, very kick ass. And uh... anyway, so she is in that one too. A very cute, lovely lady. Yeah, too bad the mummy wasn't very good. Hopefully that doesn't hurt her, her, her acting going forward. I think she's been in enough popular genre movies that she'll stay busy. Good. I mean, she keeps popping up in a lot of things. Not starring roles. She's always supporting roles, but I think she's right. pretty good. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So, right. should we uh, get these guys going? Yeah, so this is a continuation of Last Issue, so... Do you want to? Are you going to give like a one sentence 
previously on, or are you just going to jump straight into it? Well, okay, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, yes, I am going to do that, because it's all there right for us at the beginning of the issue. Great. Thanks, Ken. You're welcome. Okay, so this is issue number eight of Star Trek Boldly Go. Published date is May 2017. Writer is Mike Johnson and Ryan Perot. Art is by Megan Levins. Colors by Sarah Stern. Letterer and World Design. Production design by Neil Yataki. Editors, Sarah Gatos. Publisher, Ted Adams. We've got five covers. Five covers. Count them. Five. Um, cover A features a very cool-looking um, man-to-alien space battle in an asteroid field. Kirk and two more crewmen versus three humanoid figures in spacesuits that completely disguise their identities. We are led to believe they're Romulans, but at this point, we really don't know for sure. The cover's by George Kaltsodas. Uh, the Funko, there's a, a Funko cover that features the Funko-style Kirk during a transportation sequence firing his phaser while standing on a rocky outcrop upon a planetary surface. Cover by Tim Gillardi. The first really Taylor Incentive cover is a photo from Star Trek Beyond, the movie, and shows Uhura and Sulu on the planet of the swarm ships with a crowd of captured Enterprise crew in the background. The second retailer inside a variant cover is a rather generic, or is rather generic, and it features Spock's head and shoulders in a Starfield swoop or Starfleet swoosh and a Starfield in the background. That covers by Chrissy Chung. The fifth and final cover, uh, cover is a subscription cover, and it features Kirk, Spock, and the five cadets, minus Jayla, in a defensive formation with phasers drawn on a planetary surface and a crashed ship behind them. Cover by Vincent Federici. Okay. So, previously on Star Trek Boldly Go, the Federation and Romulans meet at a peace summit on Babel to discuss joint preparations for the Borg's return. Any optimism about the cooperation vanished when Romulan Ambassador Joltar died suddenly, and Starfleet Academy cadet Shev Akria was apprehended for, as the prime suspect in his poisoning. Cadet Jayla freed Shev from custody, and now the Romulans demand justice. In the Latonian asteroid field, Kirk has dispatched away teams from Endeavor in spacesuits to search for the fugitives from the conference that may be responsible for killing the lead Romulan ambassador at the Babylon Peace Conference. The fugitives left the main ship in escape pods and a shuttlecraft. The unusual approach to a manhunt oddly enough yields results when four humanoid forms jet towards Kirk's research team in red spacesuits that obscure exactly what race the inhabitants are, uh, are inside of the Crimson Threads. They open fire on Kirk and his team, which obliges Kirk and company to reciprocate. Cut from the space firefight to Babel where Spock, Sarek, Ahura, and McCoy are trying to engage the Romulan 
diplomatic delegation with little success. The new lead ambassador accuses Starfleet of facilitating the escape of Cadet Akira from his cell. She says the Babel Summit is no longer a peace conference, but rather it's now a manhunt. They leave the room, which triggers a spirited discussion about next steps with Spock and company. They come to the conclusion that elements of the Romulan Empire, with no interest in peace with a federation, likely kill their own ambassador to both stop his individual efforts to broker cooperative relationship. Further, pinning the ambassador's assassination on a member of Starfleet would drive a collective wedge between the Romulans and the Federation. The Romulan delegation leader has made it clear they will kill Shev if they locate him, so Spock and the others must find Shev before the Romulans do. Meanwhile, in the maintenance access tunnels of Babel, the rest of the cadets rendezvous with Shayla and Shev, who are hiding behind one of Shayla's camouflage fields that we saw in uh, Beyond. So far, they have not found a way to get off-world. Security is too tight. So the cadets shift to thinking about how to clear Shev's name and come upon a plan to have Talan attempt a mind meld with the dead Romulan ambassador. Because he is inside of a stasis field to hold off decomposition, Talan says it is unprecedented, but if there is a trace of neural activity in the ambassador's brain, then a mind meld is theoretically possible. Ooh, ooky. Meanwhile, the space battle in the asteroid field is going Starfleet's way. Kirk stuns one of the mystery spacewalkers. Also, Sulu finds the Altinian shuttle, which they use to make their escape in. Kirk uses the unconscious spacewalker's hand to operate the shuttle's exterior door lock. They enter quickly, and Zara stuns the only occupant. They find an unexpected person at the controls. Cut to Babel, where the cadet Minashev enlists McCoy to help carry out their plan. McCoy and Talan go along to the sick bay where the ambassador's body is being stored. After McCoy bribes the attendant with Chekhov's scotch, they enter the stasis chamber for ten minutes and only ten minutes. Talan begins the mind meld as McCoy looks on, visibly uncomfortable. Though the medical equipment shows no brain activity, Talan is able to pick up memories of the ambassador's life. Heavy emphasis on his family experiences. She is able to move forward to his last minutes of life. Before the meld connection is lost, she was able to see the face of the person that gave him the poison drink. They have a new suspect. Meanwhile, in their hiding place, Shev and Jayla are accosted by three armed Romulans. As Shev and Jayla are being led to a Romulan shuttle at gunpoint, Spock tells them to halt. He cannot allow them to take Starfleet personnel at gunpoint. Spock says new evidence has come to light via a post-mortem mind meld with the ambassador. When Talan recounts memories from the ambassador's life, including the fact that the ambassador's aide is also his daughter, 
the Romulan accepts Talan has done the impossible. Kirk and Sulu beam down with the new lead suspect. Kintro, the Tellarite ambassador. Pilak does not believe it all at first, but when the Tellarite confesses and calls them all fools for believing the Romulans, uh, she does believe. In the end, the Tellarite goes with the Romulans and the cadets with Spock. Kirk and Velas have a moment to speak with each other. Kirk says he can't believe she would give up her Starfleet career. Velas says he does not really know her and bids Kirk a fond farewell and safe journey in case they ever meet again. Back on the ship, Kirk says he does not buy that Velas is doing all this of her own free will, but can do nothing about it for now. They prep to break orbit and set course for Vulcan. Meanwhile, Shev makes peace with his father and rejoins the other cadets, his new family in a dining area. The end. So he made amends with his papa. He did, which is good because it was pretty, their, their, their words at the cell were pretty acidic. Yeah, no, he's a very forgiving guy because I don't know if I would forgive my dad if he basically said I was stupid and uh, a murderer. Yeah, well, actually, he didn't say he was a murderer. He said he's probably uh, an idiot. Too stupid to be a murderer. Well, yeah, and stupid enough to be the fall guy for the Romulans. Right. Uh, So how about – so the Tellarites did it. Huh. Next to the butler. That's usually the case. (sighs) Yeah, so you were saying that this is like Journey of Babel, um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, were the Tellarites the murderers in that one? <laughs> well, Donovan, uh, uh, they were not. They were not. Um, as you'll remember in that classic Toss episode, we had a fake Andorian who his little antennae broke off during a scuffle with Kirk. And um, and that person was not saying who he actually worked for. And there was also that ship that attacked uh, the Enterprise, that super fast ship. Okay. Anyway, in the end, it turned out to be uh, Spock ventured to say it is likely the Orions. Uh, so the fake Andorian guy, was he in Orion in disguise? I think that was the idea. So he had blue makeup covering up his green makeup. <laughs> Apparently so. And fake antennae sticking out. Yeah, so that was the idea. Um, Of course, they did not actually... I mean, the episode ended before McCoy did his autopsy, but Spock was pretty sure, given intelligence reports. Right. So anyways, I like how they they gave us a similar story, but changed it up a little bit so that we wouldn't know exactly what happened. Exactly, yeah. And since the Tellarite was the, you know... I don't care who you are, but when you think of that episode, you have to think of the Tellarites because they were little pig people. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of nice that they they made them the bad guys in this one because because they're such a memorable species from that episode. Yeah, and they also seem to be the bad guys. I mean, if you'll recall, they kind of were making it or playing it up like it might be the Tellarites that were behind um, the attack on Sarek, and um, in this case, they actually did turn out to be the, or at least one, I guess one guy, a rogue Tellarite. Right. 
Um, or maybe, maybe, maybe a, well, a small number of people if it isn't just him. Right. Anyway. But the dudes he's working for or with, I mean, these guys aren't, uh, these guys aren't Tellarites. The ones that are in the, the suits, they're normal human proportioned, not the shorter, stockier form of the Tellarite that we're used to seeing. Oh, good point. Good point. Um, they never said, I mean, they never came out and said they weren't Tellarites, but you're right. Well, at least the Tellarites we saw in the original TV series were kind of a little amply proportioned. Right. And and definitely <clears throat> the people in these spacesuits are skinny people. So good point. Right. But yeah, anyways, I, I, I liked the resolution of the story overall. I liked the mind meld with the dying guy. I thought that was... That was hard to take. To that that was far fetched. You think so? I think it was very far fetched. Now, now well, the good thing is she was just reading memories, right? As opposed to there being like some kind of a mental interaction. So maybe that makes it a little bit more easy to accept, at least for me. But it's like he's dead. He's dead. Well, you know the old saying: when you die, your life flashes before your eyes. Here, it's literal. She literally got to see his life flash before his eyes. Yeah, but the uh, <clears throat> but the movie's going on mighty long. <laughs> well, it's on a loop. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, that whole thing is like, it's supposed to happen at the moment you die. So it's supposed to be a flash. Like it says, literally a flash. Where this thing, you know, it keeps going. What is it, like the next day after he died, she attempts this or something? Right, but they said he was in stasis, so yeah. maybe that means that uh, is he. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I get you. It, it, it's a little far fetched, but and Uki. <laughs> but I do like this better than uh, y- you've heard the old saying that you know when you die, the uh, the uh, whatever you whatever you see is imprinted on the back of your eye. Oh, <laughs> you've you've heard that old. I've uh, heard that. Yes, yeah, so obviously not true. They've proven not true. Uh, you know, just some old medieval wives' tale type thing. Right. But then in uh, RoboCop, the series, they did an episode where RoboCop used his super vision to go inside this guy's iris and see his murderer, which, you know, not that RoboCop, the series, is the greatest of sci-fi TV series, <laughs> but that one really bothered me because I was like, because it was just so blatantly not possible. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Whereas this, I kind of bought a little bit, but it sounds like you were you were leaning the other way. I was skeptical. I was skeptical, but yeah, you know, that's fine. Right. Sometimes they do things that stretch the envelope a little bit, but that's fine. Like talk about sp- stretching the envelope. Wouldn't you be getting kind of pissed off if you were Chekhov by now? That everybody just comes and steals his alcohol. Somebody keeps stealing his scotch. <laughs> I would be unhappy. Yeah. In Star Trek Beyond and this issue, McCoy is a, he's a kleptomaniac. He keeps stealing his scotch. No. But in Star Trek Beyond, wasn't that at the um unveiling of the Enterprise A? Uh no, he got it for Kirk's birthday. That's right, Kirk's birthday. Yeah. They were having a drink. But where were they? They were on the Enterprise still? Oh, yeah, they were on the Enterprise. Um, They were, like, in an Enterprise lounge or something like that. It looked like a bar. 
So we're saying that after the Enterprise crashes and flips over and all the crazy stuff that the Enterprise did, that this is the same bottle that Chekhov brought onto the Endeavor? Oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guessing this is a different bottle. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, this is highly likely a different bottle. <laughs> now they have replicators in this version of this version of this time, right? Um, I don't know that. Okay. I, I, well, what, hmm, interesting question. Um, I did, I don't remember an eating scene in any of the three movies. Do you? Not, not that I can think of. Yeah. I know that in Discovery, they, they do, they do it. But it's almost like it was in the original series where they would just walk up to a wall and the food would come out. Um, yeah, they wouldn't so. actually – yeah, in the original series, they didn't show how they went there, and they said nothing about replicator technology. Right. It of just course. It came, came out of the wall. It just came out of the wall. <laughs> right. Which could have been a replicator, and they just never bothered to tell us what it was. Exactly. Although I, I kind of thought that was next-gen tech, but yeah, they never actually said, so who knows. So there was a chef behind that wall just – Ready to, ready to put it together. <laughs> yeah, so Taz never bothered talking about the technology behind it, but it was kind of like one of those, uh, like 1950s, where they got the uh, the automats or something, where they'd have food pre-made, right? And, you know, come out of like a vending machine kind of thing. As we saw in uh, in Agent Carter. Oh, oh, hmm. interesting. I did not remember that. Oh yeah, that's where she met her roommate. Ah. There, was, there was in the first season. There was a lot of time spent at this automat type thing. Oh, okay. You don't remember? No, I don't. I I saw a fair number of the episodes. Not all of them, but a fair number. Um, yeah. Cool. So uh, this Vale guy, Vale V E L, is that his name, right? The cadet with the long legs. Oh, oh, the tall guy. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Now, is he supposed to be the same species as um, Sharuk from Discovery? No. No. I don't think so. Well, his legs are exactly the same. That's why I say it. Because if you look at the pictures of Doug Jones from you know, the full body, sure. he has the, the same like booted heel type thing. Where it looks like his uh, – like you know, from his ankle to his toes is just really long. Right. Because he's in some sort of high heel stilt or something like that. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's supposed to be kind of like more of a hooved kind of thing, like 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 a bovine or something. Right. But I don't think their faces are the same. No, but they're kind of similar. I mean, they yeah. got the the weird looking eyes, but I didn't think they were. But then when I saw his full body, it really and I've been watching a lot of Discovery lately. It really like, oh, dude, he looks a lot like that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Funny about that. So. Obviously, Doug Jones is on stilts of some kind, and he's already a tall guy. So right. I want to see someday when he has to run. Uh, did you not see the the flower episode, Planet? Episode, second to last episode of the first half? He did a lot of running in there, but I think it was CG. Exactly. That's my point. I don't think Doug Jones can run in those stilts. No, not without the CG help. Right. 
Because he looks awkward enough how he's just moving around in some scenes. Right. Yeah. Anyways, I just wanted to point that out, that they are very similar. Uh-huh. Well, they could have come from similar uh, origins, but on different planets. Or the makeup people from Beyond, which I think this this guy, this species was in Beyond. Uh, maybe maybe the makeup people from Discovery, too, and they kind of just borrowed Borrowed that aesthetic. Borrowed some elements. Yeah. Cool. Well. So maybe that'll be the go-to thing for the new 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 Star Trek is weird feet thing, whereas nah. the old version was weird forehead thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's where they're going. I think so. I think so. <laughs> well, the Beyond movie had a ton of different aliens. A lot of diversity. So they did have a lot of opportunity to try different things. Right. And before we're done today, we're going to revisit one of those curious little aliens from beyond. Aliens from the beyond. <laughs> Indeed. So what do you think of the artwork? Uh, again, I liked it. Um, very traditional comic book style. Uh-huh. Uh, we're not necessarily photorealistic, but uh, I liked it. Well, it, it was – yeah. I think it was very – Accurate enough, but like I said in in previous issues that we've uh, we've reviewed, there's a certain Archie aesthetic to some of the uh, looks, especially Kirk. Right. For some reason, Kirk especially. What's that button nose? He now has this button nose that I don't. I've never seen him. Right, before. right. Yep, it, it's it's good. It's it's colorful. It's nice. Um, it's attractive. I mean, he's drawn very nicely. Yeah, it's good drawing. So, yeah, some of the backgrounds, though, they just go with the just single color in the background for yeah. no reason. So, a lot, like, a lot of times people will be talking, and then behind one person it will all be teal, and then behind the other person it's all blue, blue exactly. depending on the <laughs> camera angle. When when it shows the wide shots, it shows that they're really standing in front of mountains or something like that. So, yeah, but even the uh, mountains – so you must be on the same page as I'm on. Because uh, you're describing the same colors and things, yeah. But even even when they're showing the backgrounds that are show mountains, they're very they're just simple drawings, um, and then then are just colored in with like a primary color or something, right. and that's it. So even when you do see mountains, uh, very simple. Uh, there's one in particular towards the bottom of the page that has uh, Valas and Kirk. And even in the background, you could see, like, like uh, flying cars going around in order. I mean, that has a little more detail in it, but really, even that isn't very detailed. So they're really spending their time drawing the characters, not the backgrounds. Right. Which is different from what we got in the past when it was, uh, like, in the background, it was like a – it was it would be a single color, but it was you could tell that it was some sort of Photoshopped picture of the actual background right if you remember in the earlier issues of uh boldly go and uh and the ongoing that's that's the way they always kind of depicted the art style so it's kind of neat to get a different take but it's also kind of like uh a little jarring maybe a little bit yeah if you're used to that other one i like it but uh, yeah i just wouldn't want to see it all the time the next issue is quite a bit more photorealistic Right. They spent a lot more time on the backgrounds. All right. Anything else for this one? Uh, no. No. Um, 
Yeah, I thought overall they were good stories, uh, the whole arc. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it could have been better. I guess it could always be better. But there's just something about it It could have been a little better. Right. But it was good. It was very good. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah. All right. So uh, shall we move on to the next one? Let's do. All right. I get the pleasure of talking about this one. Uh, it is issue number nine of Boldly Go. came out June of 2017. It has four covers. So the first one is by George Castotis, and it shows um, a very artistic version. Not, not at all realistic looking, but it shows Ahura and Spock and some other Vulcans uh, kind of standing on a balcony uh, looking down at the at the at the audience i guess us uh the second cover the the retail exclusive uh that is a photo of uh uhura from either star trek beyond pretty sure it's star trek beyond uh the uh, other retail in incentive is uh kirk within a starfleet swoosh and this is by tony shastine and then the subscription cover is a um picture of Ahura and it looks like she's leaning up against a wall on uh, what what I guess is new Vulcan and this is by Ariana Florin so the uh, issue was written by Mike Johnson and Ryan Parrott the art was by Tony Shastine colors by J.D. Mettler letters by and world design production design is by Neil Yutaki edits by Sarah Gatos and publisher Ted Adams so the story takes place all on New Vulcan. Uh, Ahura and Spock are there and having dinner with Sarek. After dinner, Ahura tells Spock, once they're alone, that Sarek was hinting that they were to get married. Spock says that he did not pick up on that, but if she wants to get married, he's not opposed to the idea. She tells him that they are way too busy to worry about such things now. We then are treated to a few pages of a montage or actually multiple montages, that show uh, Ahura busy at work teaching human culture at the Vulcan Academy and learning Vulcan martial arts and swimming and things like that. Uh, All the while, Spock is working with another Vulcan man to start mining some isotopes that are underneath the new Vulcan's crust, uh, all in the effort of becoming more independent. Later, Ahura and Sarek are spending some time together on a rooftop Uh, talking about the construction of the Enterprise. Suddenly, Ahura starts to hallucinate, and she sees the city that she grew up in, and she even sees her parents. She knows this is a dream, but her phantom parents keep telling her that they're trying to save her, and they point to a strange structure that suddenly appears within the phantom city. Ahura wakes from her daydream and tells Sarek that she needs some sleep, thinking that she's just readjusting to living on a new planet. Later, at the Vulcan school, a very young student asks Ahura to marry him. She tries to let the little guy down easy and tells him to come talk to her in about ten years. Ahura then speaks to another female Vulcan teacher who tells Ahura that she is a surprisingly good teacher and that not everyone is against her union with Spock. The woman tells Ahura that with Vulcans on the endangered species list, that some feel that Spock taking a non-Vulcan mate endangers the possible future for the species. Suddenly, Ahura has another vision. 
This time, it's of her uncle burning in flames. He tells her that she must show them and makes some alien language characters out of the flames that are surrounding him. As quickly as appears, he vanishes. Ahura then contacts Spock and lets him know what's happening. He tells her that he's about to start mining the isotopes when suddenly she's cut off the communication. Spock's confused, but he goes ahead and continues with the starting of the drilling process. Suddenly, a small Vulcan craft crashes near the drill. Ahura pops out. She tells them that she's been seeing that drill in her dream and that something is trying to communicate with her. On a nearby cliff wall, she sees the alien language from the fire dream. As if by magic, several blue ghost forms of a four-armed alien species appears around them. They tell Spock and Ahura that they are a warning to not drill here and release some sort of deadly gas. Spock concludes that these are a recorded message from previous inhabitants of the planet. Sometime later, Sarek concludes that Ahura saved all of New Vulcan because of her emotions. Uh, that was the only way that this other species uh, could communicate. He hints again that she would be a welcome addition to their family, and he leaves. Once Sarek is gone, Ahura tells Spock that she's not ready for marriage yet, and she may never be ready for kids. She says that this does not mean that she doesn't love him. To this, he simply says that he agrees. The two lovebirds then watch the sunset on New Vulcan. The end. Aww. Enjoying a sunset. Yeah, he's an old softy that way. Yeah, after they got through saying, you know, I don't really quite love you enough to get married, and I may never want kids. Right. So but he, he wouldn't fine. take it. He wouldn't take it personal. Oh, no, no. Plus, they're both, you know, they both also are probably like, Spock is like going, whew, I really want to get back to my career. <laughs> Thanks, Ahura. You're the best. Uh, don't be like that, Ken. <laughs> well, okay. So um, I think that's kind of cool that they had – they have options, right? So here it is, a totally different kind of life that they could go down this path. There's a place for Spock, or at least there was a place, a very important place, you know, drilling this mining whatever thing. So he must have been thinking about it very strongly. And then she's – it's been made obvious that even though there may be still a little bit of like, oh, anti-human kind of undertones maybe going around a little bit, she would be welcome there. And she had a place as a, as a teacher, and she loves the kids and the stuff. So right. um, I think – I like this issue because it sh it gives them real attractive choices uh, other than a life aboard a starship. As opposed to always being underneath Kirk's thumb? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if I'd put it that way, but um, yeah. I mean, at their personal well, life. I mean, that's, that's my personal complaint about Star Trek is that, you know, even 50 years down the road, they're still in the same position. Oh, Under yeah, the yeah, same yeah. commander. Well, uh, no job, no job movement in in fifty years. That's that's kind of sad. Well, I mean, Spock, Spock became a captain, right? But and he had his own ship for a while and stuff. 
but yeah, ultimately came back. He, I mean, he still stayed captain even when he when they were all together again. Right. Even when Kirk was demoted from admiral to captain, there was just two captains on the Enterprise for some reason. Yeah, which doesn't really make that much sense. I, well, I one think... of them was crazy, so I guess that. I mean, I guess that that factors into it. You know, that Spock. You know, he did switch bodies and all that stuff, so he he might not be ready for a new command. Yeah, okay, but and and in contrast, I mean, they kept Riker around forever in Next Gen, but now that I have just read a recent uh, trio of books, a three part uh, three book story arc called Prey, mm-hmm. um, and in it. Uh, definitely Picard, who is still captain, commanding the Enterprise, and then Admiral Riker, who is not captain of um, the Titan, Titan. but mm-hmm. there is a cat. There's a person who is the captain of the Titan, um, but it's kind of like like he's on the ship all the time, kind of like uh, Voyage of the Bottom of the Sea, where Admiral Nelson was aboard, but Captain Crane was always the captain of the of the uh, submarine. Anyway, kind of like that. So it was interesting seeing a story where they did finally move on. <laughs> so number one became cap- Captain and beyond. So I thought that was – I like that. Huh, that's interesting. So that means that Janeway and Riker both became Admiral faster than Luke, uh, Picard. Uh, I guess. Well, as far as Janeway becoming Admiral – she was admiral in uh, that was the, in the last Star Trek movie. That's canon, baby. She was on screen talking to Kirk, and he calls her admiral. Oh, okay, 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 fine, fine. Was fine. that Nemesis? So Nemesis? Yeah. Gosh, I don't remember that. Uh, it's not like I watched Nemesis that much. <laughs> it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a great film. Um, yeah, I guess so. Hmm. I guess so. Because that ruffled my feathers when I was watching Nemesis. I was like, really? She became Admiral before Picard? Well, it you know it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> so in the Prey books. All right. I-, I want to read those, but I want to catch up with all the other ones first. And yeah. I just can't find the time to, yeah. to get to them. So you skipped all the – All, all the, the Titan ones. All I have, the books. I have never – straight to Prey. Well – all the books. All I mean, the post Nemesis books from from the star, main Star Trek line, the Titan line, the Voyager line. You would I, uh, I definitely skipped the Titan books. Okay. So I have I have a little better idea about what happened because of references they made in the Prey books to things that happened in the past. Um, and by the way, also um, uh, Dax. Is also in it, and uh, she's captain of the the super fast slip stream, strip, flip, slip stream ship. Uh, hmm. I forgot the name of the ship. It's going to come to me, but it's the really cool looking one. Right. Anyway, so they've got her in there too, and of course she's got the Aventine. That's it, the Aventine. She's got uh, her stories, novels that also took place. Right. So yeah. it's it's like the three captains, sort of, all coming together. Anywho, let's get back to this. 
So art style. So we're back to what we used to see with Boldly Go with the kind of the photorealistic backgrounds that are all kind of tinted a certain color to mm -hmm. kind of wash them out a little bit, but they're still super detailed. Yes. I mean, not every panel, but most panels. Yes. Right. Yeah, some panels, they still have very blue skies where there's absolutely, you know, almost nothing in the background. You know, maybe kind of hints at clouds, but uh, yeah. For the most part, they are detailed backgrounds. And I appreciate I the detail. I don't think there's any clouds on New Bulk, so you're not missing anything. Okay, well, there's, there's wispy kind of different colors to the blue. Uh, if you look in some of the panels. Yeah, no, I see it. Yeah. I, I, think that, I think that's what they're hinting at. But So how do you like their wacky hologram uh, cell phones? Yeah, they're fine. <laughs> Why? What's wrong with them? Oh, no, I, I, just find, I just don't remember ever seeing that before in Star Trek. So they've got something that kind of looks like a small uh, phone, you know, rectangular with curved <laughs> corners. That really is just like a slab of like, what, light blue color or whatever. Right. And then it projects the person's head in kind of a 3D hologram above. So I, I, yeah. I, I dig tech. So uh, Reminds me of, you know, something you would see in Star Wars more than Star Trek with the hologram thing. But, mm -hmm. but Discovery is doing mm -hmm. that a lot now, too, with the, the holograms coming out of the consoles and stuff uh, instead mm -hmm. of on a view screen. Or, or in rooms, so right, right. You know, right. so full full length interaction, like the persons in the room, but you can still tell it's a hologram, right? Which they put on the, <clears throat> the Defiant. You know, there was a oh, yeah. couple of episodes where Cisco was Early. talking to the thing, and then they just phased that out and they yeah. just quit using it. I, I it wonder again. why they stopped doing that. Uh, expense, maybe. But the person looked like they were just standing there. It wasn't like they had. Uh, you know, an effect all over them, right? Oh, was it that good? I thought, I th was, I thought they still looked like a hologram. Oh, okay, maybe. Um, but that was a while ago, and that yeah. was very early <laughs> in the series. Right, it was when they first got the Defiant. Yeah. Or, right. or that, during, I, it was during yeah. the Dominion War, whenever that was. You're right, yep. Because I remember it being on the bridge when, like, an admiral or something popped up. That Vulcan admiral, right. And, right. Then, and then, then we never saw it again. Yeah. But now we see it all the time in, in Discovery. Anyway, I thought it was kind of cool. I like it. Um, so that's obviously Vulcan tech as opposed to Starfleet tech. Because we never see that uh, being used by Starfleet people. Right. I do like how they're trying, you know, kind of what they're talking about, about making Vulcan independent. And that's why, you know, this this young Vulcan's wanting to mine these isotopes and mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, I really like that concept that, you know, these are proud people that right now they're being, you know, micromanaged by the, by a government, you know, even if it's a government that they have a big say so in, mm -hmm. uh, it's still somebody else trying to help them out. And, sure. uh, you know, which is fine. They'll accept the help, but they also kind of like, you know, we, we don't want to always be dependent on other people. Sure. I liked it. I, I think that's, that's what uh, uh, some some people like that would be in that kind of situation, right? You know, just give us our land, let us do what we want to do, and you know, we're going to ask for as little as little help as possible, right? Good point. Good point. 
My main point is I think that the market for black long-sleeved T-shirts is very <laughs> strong on Vulcan. Well, that's all there is. <laughs> Pretty much. You Everybody... want a T-shirt? It's black. <laughs> you want pants? Black. Boots? <laughs> black. Yeah. I mean, except for Sarek, you know, it's like most of these people are, like, are just dressed in black. I mean, even the teacher that works with Ahura, black. Right. Now, there used to be a comedian, um, and, and I'm pretty sure I'm misremembering his joke, but mm-hmm. it was like, uh, you know, if there was a barber on, on Vulcan, it'd be like, you know, he would, you, the guy would sit there, you're like, you want the Spock? Yes. No, 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 Spock. You want, you want the Spock? And he just kept going, and then finally he was like, you want the Mo? <laughs> oh, Howard. <laughs> oh, no, I think he had Pete Rose in there, because Pete Rose kind of had the same... Same hairstyle. Uh huh. Yeah, this is an old comic. I, I'm I'm going back to the day. Yeah. But uh, I always that always kind of stuck with me. That's as funny that uh, that all these people have the same hairstyle. Exactly. Well, the young kid doesn't, does he? Yeah. No, he has it too. Does he? Okay. Yeah. Whenever I see people that don't have black hair in a Vulcan, I question. Because <laughs> like like the little kid has maybe a little bit of brown. The the and by the way, cute little kid who right. was uh, proposing marriage to Ahura. Very, very, very somber-looking, earnest child. <laughs> yeah, nah, super cute. Yeah, I like that whole scene, even though it doesn't really make sense. Except for just being super cute, that this little kid just like eh, it's logical that we get married. Yeah, there's no logic in that. You're 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 five. Uh huh. <laughs> and I kept thinking, I was like, well, that wouldn't even work because by the time he became an adult, she would be really old, and he's going to live a lot longer than she is. Yeah, yeah. I read this article about how Spock was really – or that uh, Kirk was really Spock's pet and that he wouldn't have really had that big of an attachment to him because you know, Spock's lifespan is so much longer than Kirk's that it would be the equivalent of us and a dog. That uh, you know, for us, a dog's going to live you know, 10 years or so, but we're going to live you know, 80 to 100, mm-hmm. whereas you know, for Spock's lifetime, I mean he spent – you know, from when caught, when Spock when Kirk dies to when Spock goes back in time, you know, much much longer than the total amount of time that he ever spent with Kirk, that uh, that he wouldn't have really been that that close to him as as they try to make it seem. It would have been like okay, you but, remembering your your family dog when you were a kid. Well, okay, but hold on a second. Yeah, the Vulcans are long lived, but McCoy lived into his hundreds. I mean, yeah. so, I mean, how old was Spock ultimately? Did they ever say how old he was before? Because that, that one comic talked about, um, like, him dying on New Vulcan and stuff. Right. But I don't remember. At a ripe old age, but how old was that age? Because obviously if McCoy can get into his low hundreds, um, it may not be that big a difference. Although Kirk died younger, <clears throat> although still kind of old. Um, right. Because of circumstances. Yeah, he fell off the bridge. <laughs> uh, right, yes. How dramatic. Died a true hero. Anywho, I, I, I mean, it was it was a, a comedy piece, so don't read too much into it. But yeah. it, it did make me think that uh, when I was – this little kid was doing that, I was like, you know, by the time he gets to maturity, she's going to be right. really old, and then he's he's going to live his whole life. 
Well, they don't. Um, Sarek had a couple of human wives. Right. Yeah. So this he, kid will have a couple of uh, human wives. I, I, I dig humans. <laughs> so that's a good point. You think this Sarek will remarry and it be the uh, what was her name? Perrine. Perrine. It was something like that, right? Uh, a lovely young blonde. Uh, way too young for <laughs> Sarek, but obviously not as far as he's concerned. Uh, the original uh, Sarek. Right. So I wonder when they're going to bring her into this continuity. I don't know. Good that thought. Would actually, that would actually be pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So I got to ask you that obelisk that uh, the drill? that they were drilling by. Well, but yeah. Well, they were drilling by it, but I'm talking about the obelisk. Oh, the – That okay. was supposed to be warning, yeah. somehow warning. That uh, nobody ever noticed before it, with well, all the writing? With the writing and stuff. I mean how, – Okay, so maybe the writing was supposed to do it, but it's like, well, yeah, they put it up as a warning. Maybe they were putting it up as a warning to their own people. I don't know, because just looking at it, it's like, well, how is that going to warn me of anything? Right, well, because when you got there, it's it should have uh, tele, you know, through your brain, your emotional brain, it would have started telling you, showing you visions of the warning. Right. I don't know. Okay, but well, yeah. Okay, but I mean, the obelisk in itself. Just looking at it, forget about it. No, that's just a natural formation. It, uh, natural? I thought it was uh, uh, alien-made. Well, I mean, it looks like just a normal cliff. It doesn't look like anything that you wouldn't see on a real desert planet. Okay. Okay. I, I thought they purposely built it as a warning. I didn't catch that the obelisk. Was, I thought the writing was supposed to be the warning, and that there's something, you know, telepathically. Warning people, but oh, uh, I well, didn't, there's I didn't definitely think that, that thing. Was yeah, wrong. the telepathically thing is is a whole bunch of uh, of horse hockey too. So that was almost as bad as the uh, Guinan thing in the Nexus. It's like, think of me as an echo, but I'm talking to you right now with no problem. So yeah, right, yeah, Guinan, sure. Um, These are just holograms. Well, okay. Oh, hold on. So you say it's technology then? I thought it was supposed to be like an echo of these actual aliens now dead, somehow echoes of of these aliens' consciousness. Oh, a psychic as opposed to echo. it being uh, technology. It yeah, it does say a psychic echo. Yeah, I thought it was some sort of recording, which would have made more sense. It's like, okay, so these guys are telepaths, and they were able to stick around with brain activity past yeah. their deaths. Put a copy of their Katra somewhere. So that, uh, <laughs> maybe in the obelisk. Maybe I don't. I don't know what obelisk you're talking about. It just looks like just a normal cliff or something. Mm-hmm. You think that looks like man-made, alien-made? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and these blue guys. Yeah. I like their design. I don't. Four four arms. Two legs. Four legs. Oh, no. Four legs. Three? No. Four. Or are there three legs? Uh, yeah, three legs. You're right. Wow. Uh, uh, okay. Well, anyway, they're weird looking. And they don't really seem to have a face, kind of. Or if they do have a face, it's very odd. So do they not have eyes? Nope. Okay. Nope. No eyes, no mouth. Just weird shapes. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. 
I thought they're yeah. They're I different. thought they were. I thought they were. I thought they looked like kind of like centaurs with you know like a salamander stuck on the head. But mm. you're right. The front leg. There is only one front leg for some reason. Two back legs, and then a torso that has four arms, and then this weird, weird head. Yeah, it almost looks like you know, like in the horse suits where you have somebody in the back and somebody in the front. This uh-huh. is almost like you got somebody on the bottom. And then another guy on top of his shoulders, uh, you know, in in the suit. Right. With his legs sticking out. His uh, arms sticking Right. Right, right, right. It's it's funny. It's very funny. It's, it's unique. It's unique. Yeah, I didn't like it. It didn't look very practical because it looked very <laughs> – that's a lot of weight on that one front leg. Mm. I think it would this, – this, this thing would just topple over. <laughs> There's no way it, it's – it's walking around on those three legs. Right. Well, maybe they had a lot of knee problems <laughs> as aliens. And back problems. There you go. Okay. Well, I think that's... Yeah, that's all I have to say. I just wanted a, a reminder. So we've seen something about Ahura's uncle dying, right? Mm-hmm. We and saw... He died in the... Yeah, we saw a whole uh, issue dedicated to Orhura's backstory. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, because when I when I was reading it, I was like, "Man, this is familiar," but I wasn't sure if it was from a DC comic or it was this this series. But I was thinking it was this series. So, uh, but I just wanted to ask you if you if you remember. Do you remember which issues it was? Or oh, which, was it ongoing it, or was it the? It was ongoing. Go. I okay. think I think it was ongoing. Or I well, I guess it. No, I'm pretty sure it's ongoing because there was a spot in ongoing where all the characters were getting uh, a turn at getting their backstory told. That's right. Towards the end, when kind of when we were in between Enterprise, um, in the darkness, and boldly go. Yeah, That's right. I think so. Yep. Okay. Yeah, you're right. All right. Cool. That was all I had. Cool. So now interesting let's go to your, little one-off. Your favorite one. Why well, it is my favorite of these three. Sure. And um, it's just cute. It is cute. Okay. So this is issue number 10. It's published date of July 2017. Writer again, Mike Johnson. Art by Tony Shastine. Colors by J.D. Mettler. Letterer and World Designs. Production design, Neil Yataki. Editor, Sarah Gatos. Publisher, Ted Adams. A lot of the same people. Four covers in this Issues case. Cover A features Scotty working away with holograms of the ship's system readouts, and apparently controls are also in these uh, these holograms. All around his head and upper body. It looks like a very high-tech way of working. This cover is by George Kalt Sodas. Cover B uh, is a kind of generic uh, one. Uh, it features Kirk's head at the top with a with smaller drawings of Spock, Scotty, Uhura, McCoy, Chekhov, and Sulu. Uhura is standing in front of a white Starfleet swoosh, and the UFP logo is in the background. Um, the uh, genericness of the cover is kind of reinforced with Chekhov's inclusion in it. Of course, they haven't really dealt with the whole checkoff thing yet. Um, The first retail incentive cover is a photo from Star Trek Beyond, and it shows uh, Kirk 
in his away mission cool guy jacket, sitting at the con of the USS Franklin. The second retailer instead of cover is another generic one, with McCoy's head and shoulders within a Starfleet swoosh, and a Starfleet in the back, or Starfield in the background, covered by Chrissy Chung. The small Tanaxi alien that attacked Kirk and ended up aboard the Enterprise in the early minutes of the Star Trek Beyond movie <clears throat> narrates his story. From the time he and other Tanaxi attacked the Fibonian spy called James T. Kirk, to the time he grew to like the peaceful and vibrant members of the Federation, to the time he joined Lieutenant Keenzer on an ambitious project, the construction of the starship designated Enterprise A. The Tanaxi explains his true name is unpronounceable by most members of the Federation, so the closest approximation is Kevin. After a long absence, Mr. Scott returns to the Yorktown and the construction bay with six Starfleet cadets in tow, no less. Jayla says hello to Kevin, who she has not seen for quite some time, since before she became a cadet. Scotty looks over the progress that has been made in his absence and is happy to see it is not a mess of historic proportions. After working with Mr. Scott and his cadets, Kevin is struck by how different they all are, each with their own talents and areas of specialization. Such a difference from his own people who are all so similar. Kevin finds himself seated at the con, at the center of it all. He looks ready for command. As Scotty and Kevin are working on a particularly difficult weld near the deflector dish, Scotty asks if Kevin had considered applying at Starfleet Academy. Kevin says he thinks his people would be unhappy with him assimilating further into the Federation culture than he already has. Seeing Kevin's worth as an engineer, he asks him to consider asking his people to allow it again when his people come for a visit tomorrow. The flagship arrives, and what a wee ship it is. Commodore Paris welcomes the grand Audarch of the Tanaxi people and his entourage. The Audarch tells everybody to call him Steve. Kevin tells Steve he will find the humans less advanced than the Tanaxi, but he thinks he will see they do have redeeming qualities. Later, at dinner, Steve and his people treat the Commodore and her people to Tanaxi delicacies, such as really gross big black spiders and green sauce. Along with Kevin's Federation friends, he finds he does not really have a taste for the arachnid main course anymore. Is Kevin changing more than he realizes? Steve states that no formal alliance would be possible at this time, with the Federation, but perhaps a trading pack could be arranged. They all tour the Enterprise A, which is under construction. Later, after most people have turned in for the night, Kevin and Steve's entourage return to the Enterprise for some late-night shenanigans. 
The next morning, the cadets and Keenzer informed Scotty that Tanaxi stole the captain's chair. Jayla wants to hunt the thieves down. Scotty is just shocked that Kevin betrayed them. As the tiny Tanaxi flagship speeds away from Yorktown, Steve and his entourage are gloating over their clever theft of the chair. With it in their possession, they will be in a position of power to dictate trade terms to the Federation. They notice that Kevin does not share in their celebration. Commodore Paris hails them and Scotty is with her. She demands that they return the Starfleet property they appropriated. They have violated all diplomatic norms. Steve says he cares not for Starfleet norms. And as for returning their flagship's power source, as long as they have it, uh, the Starfleet will do as the Tanaxi bid. Scotty does not understand what Steve is talking about. Power source? They apparently think the captain's chair is the central control stalk that is used in Tanaxi ships a much more critical component in their ships than in human ships. Scotty tells them they are daft for thinking a starship chair is a source of power. It's just a chair. Steve realizes that Kevin did not prove his loyalty to the Tanaxi people, but rather betrayed his own people. Kevin explains the captain's chair is a source of power in a manner of speaking. Steve will have none of it. Kevin betrayed them, plain and simple, and he is angry about it. Kevin comes clean and says he likes his blue tunic and the Federation, his friends, better than he likes Steve. This angers Steve, and just as he and his entourage are about to attack Kevin and send the pieces back to his Federation friends, Cadet Chen, under orders from Scotty, is able to transwarp beam Kevin out of the speeding Tanaxi ship. Jayla is there to meet Kevin at the transporter pad. She is so happy to see him, she picks him up like a child. Kevin objects at first, and even strikes a fighting pose, then realizes uh, it's fine, and relaxes into Jayla's warm embrace. Later, when Scotty is ready to return to San Francisco, he asks Kevin if he wants to return with him. Kevin takes a pass, saying he prefers to stay assisting Keenzer on the construction. Kevin pines about how he is an outcast from his own people. Scotty says he thinks in time they will come around and welcome him back. In the meantime, Scotty takes his hand and says, Happy to have you back with us, Kevin. The story closes with Kevin constructing a new chair to replace the one racing towards Tanaxi. The end. Oh, so cute. He's a cute little fella. I really love it at the end of Beyond during the party for Kirk's birthday mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, Kirk's kind of walking and then he, he sees uh, Keenzer and uh, Kevin walking and he says, Kevin... I see you're going pantsless. I see, I see you're still going pantsless, or something like that. Right. Which I thought was so funny. And I didn't realize uh, that he actually did say Kevin. So I was listening for it. Oh, okay. Um, so I didn't pick up the, the, the human name, the human right. first name, uh, when I watched the movie before, but now I did. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, that was probably just humor. You know, right? 
you know, call him Kevin. Hey, you're pantsless, kind of like Donald Duck. And uh, so that was all for humor, but they kind of worked that into this this comic story. I like it. Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah, that's cute. Yeah. And they also have some jokes in there about where, uh, what, Steve, the uh, the emperor guy, was saying, uh, well, what do you expect for a species that wears pants? So that was fun. <laughs> yeah. No, this was a cute episode issue. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice little story. A little lighthearted. Completely. So yeah, so so then I wasn't misremembering. That that uh that birthday scene was after the Enterprise A uh Enterprise was destroyed and before the Enterprise A was released. Right. Yeah. Completely. Okay. Yep. So then the bottle of scotch that they stole from Chekhov would have been one he bought after after the crash. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. If Assuming that they didn't polish off that <laughs> that bottle, uh, you know, Kirk and uh, McCoy, uh, right. it probably would have been crushed to bits. You know, in the in the yeah, in, but, in the, the crash. but his birthday was after after the crash because Kevin was there. Well, the, okay, hold on. Okay, so at the beginning of the film, uh-huh. it was a few days ahead of time. Um, That's when the birthday was. N- hold on. Okay, so at the beginning of the film. McCoy and Kirk meet in like the bar or one uh, of the bars, okay. right? Okay. And then it's a few days early, but still they drink a toast. Okay. Um uh and then okay. at the end of the film, by the time they got to the end of the film, it I guess it actually was Kirk's birthday or close to his birthday. And then that's when Kevin was around. And was that the launch of the Enterprise A or was that just uh Enterprise A was in between. S- Enterprise A was under construction. Right. Okay, so gotcha. they were luckily able to rent the party space that overlooks the construction bay of Enterprise A. Gotcha. And that was on the that was on the space station, the weird The Yorktown. The, weird, the Yorktown is the name of that space station? Yeah. Oh boy, you really did you only watch it once? No, I'm saying I, I didn't I thought they were on Earth at the end of of just uh, beyond. No, no, they were when still in Yorktown. But okay, so why would they build the ship there? I didn't think that was a shipyard. Oh well, okay, I completely agree with that. Okay, but it was a shipyard. It, okay. but, but that's like well, so they so in the Kelvin universe, they have shipyards in Iowa <laughs> instead right. of San on, Francisco. On All right. Uh, yeah, and on the planet, not up in space. So it's like, huh. Well, I guess from a story standpoint, that's handy, J.J., but that's not my Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Anyway, whatever. So, yes, so in a similar way that the original Enterprise was built in an odd place, but it kind of worked out from the story logistics. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, they're actually building a starship in the uh, snow globe. Okay. Gotcha. I did not catch that in the first reading. And then when they kept talking about here, they were back there, I was like – could not remember that that was where they were building the Enterprise. Okay. Yeah. Now, mind you, it kind of makes sense to build a starship, I think, in a space station like that, because there is no planetary gravity, and all you're dealing with is artificial gravity. So right. you might be able to deal with a huge model, you know, mega ship easier sure. if you don't have gravity to be involved. But still, 
I mean, this is out the out of the edge of a Federation space. Whatever. It was handy for the story. Sure. Yeah. Cool. So I thought the Tanaxi ship was very interesting. It looked uh, very organic. It, it looks like a bug. Exactly. Yeah. It looks like a bug ship. So Yeah. Looks much smaller than you know, even even though these guys are small, there's a it there's a lot of people in there and when it shows the interior they have a lot of room. Yet this thing looks like it's the size of a table. Well, okay, and that's what kind of threw me off when they first show it. I completely agree. I mean, they kind of make it look like that, the way they drew it, but obviously it isn't. It's got to be, you know, it's, I would say that it's got to be at least the size of, you know, at least the size of a big bus or, right. or, or something like that. Because you're right. I mean, the interior when they're, you know, Kevin and, and Steve and, and the gang are all in there. I mean, they got room. And that and that's only showing like the bridge. Hopefully, there's more rooms in it than just that. But who knows? Okay. All right. So we're on the same page. We're on the same page, man. I think the artwork was excellent, top notch. Agreed. I loved how when they showed the the little creatures from their point of view, uh-huh. all the camera angles were pointing up to make uh-huh. them look really big. Uh-huh. And then when it showed the wides, you could tell how tiny they really were. Right, right, right. Just like in that in the opening scene, I, right. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I like that, especially when he's like roaring and you know he looks like a kind of a a muscly little dude. Right, uh, and in actuality, he's like the size of a. What a toddler, a Yorkie, not even a toddler, <laughs> <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah, a little guy. Anyway, and then I liked how they, uh, when they did show the interior, when they were doing the the view screen, it mm-hmm. was something unique and alien, which is I, I like it when they do something different because not all technology should be the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, like most of Star Trek usually shows, you know, the Klingon ship looks just like the. Federation ship with yep. the same kind of view screen, but maybe right. with a little few, you know, different bevels or something like that. Right but here, it's completely different tech. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's like some kind of green squir- swirling plasma or something, and then inside of it is the picture yeah. of uh, Scotty and the uh, the admiral. Right. But even like the the ship itself, I mean, mm-hmm. also the the control console, which I guess powers the ship. But then you can see people like coming up through the floor, like these little holes open up, right. and then somebody comes up and down. And yeah, I, again, I just thought it was kind of different. Yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah, yeah, and the the control pod that Steve is so uh, the, the central control stock. It looks like a, a toadstool or a, mushroom, well, a yeah. mushroom. Yeah. Yeah. It did, yeah, yeah. No, I thought I, I thought this was a good story. It was a, a lighthearted story, so uh, you know, I didn't. I don't think I liked it as well as I liked the the the, the murder mystery from the first two or the the second half. Right. Uh, well, it's quite different. Yeah, but no, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I I really dug this one. <laughs> it just it just is just funny. Right. 
And and also in in Discovery, I, I never liked that Kevin was wearing the shirt because I I was kind of like, and they even brought it up here. Oh know, yeah, you, you should actually be going to Starfleet before you're wearing this shirt, right? Because uh, that always kind of bothered me in the movie. I was yeah. like, really? He just he came on board and now he's part of the crew, right? And, uh, and maybe in Discovery, they didn't know what he would be doing, so not they put Discovery. him. Uh, 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 yeah, beyond. I, I screwed it up. Sorry about that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, beyond, beyond didn't know what necessarily Kevin would be doing, but they put him in a blue shirt, but they've clearly got him doing engineering things. Oh, so yeah. he really should be in red shirt, but he's in a blue one. That's true. Well, technically he should not be in a shirt at all. Well, he's not Starfleet. Uh, I agree with that. Should be wearing a little black shirt. Yeah. At least, and, and put him in pants, please. <laughs> Donald ducking it. That was funny. <laughs> well, isn't it funny? I mean, because I, when I was a kid, I really never thought about it. But how many cartoon characters have no pants? Right. A fair number. And I always thought it was funny that when Donald Duck got out of the shower, he always had a towel on in that area, the uh-huh. pants area. Uh-huh. Uh, but then when, when he's it, fully dressed. Yeah, he doesn't care. Let's <laughs> it all hang out. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. No, these these three issues were good. I enjoyed them all. No complaints. Good. Um, they definitely are cramming the cadets into everything they can, aren't they? But, which I approve of. I like those cadets, and I would like more stories with them. Yeah, it, that's fine. It's just it's really funny how they're really bringing them. I mean, okay, so I think it's very interesting that Scotty. I mean, this is all supposed to be like one continuity, I guess, I think, at least the same relative time frame. But, I mean, Scotty's like going back and forth, and he's on the Enterprise, and he's not on the Enterprise, and he's at Star, you know, at the Academy, and and he's off in um, uh, Yorktown as like, man, he's got a lot of frequent flyer mileage, and he's carting these uh, cadets with him everywhere. Uh, Quite the entourage. It's funny. Well, this is the first time he brought them anywhere, right? I mean, they. Well, okay, they no. Apple, but he, he didn't no, bring them. He, yes, he did. Oh, did he? It was Scotty that recommended it. Oh, okay. Well, they were star pupils. Yep, yep. And that's fine. Yeah, why was he on? Why was he on Babel at all? Oh, Good. Scotty. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, and then. Scotty was on the Enterprise during the whole Borg thing. Well, there was no Enterprise. You mean the Endeavor? Or the Endeavor. But Sorry. Good point. <laughs> yeah, so he was on the Endeavor. So it's like, I mean, that, that's great. I mean, I love the character, the Scotty sure. ca- character. But what's, what's his deal? Yeah, good point. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like him being the teacher because, you know, they always kind of talked about how the prime Scotty was, was also taught at the academy and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah. so I, I like the idea that he's there, but and then you know he's leaving it up to Keenzer and the other shipbuilders to to make the new Enterprise. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and also nice that Jayla continues to be uh, with Scotty. So exactly. that's cool. That's really good. Yeah, because they had the strong relationship in the in the movie, so that's continuing. Yeah, which I hope they do in the in in any type of sequel. Keep well, her in it, keep them together. 
Yeah. Don't do this like a uh, new babe every month or every uh, every issue, episode, movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I think we said earlier in the in today's episode, which is lengthening, I think. Um, Jayla has enough time to get through Starfleet Academy, probably. So she could definitely end up being on Enterprise A. Right. In the next movie, which yep. you know, we assume they're going to be on Enterprise A. So since they go real, say they go, they kind of sort of go real time. So if there's three years ish between the movies, there's three years ish uh, in the Star Trek continuity, which I like. Right. And that closing scene on Beyond was Chekhov there. Yes, which, he was. Okay. He was. He was uh, making his moves on that girl with the really weird head. The hand head? Oh, was it a hand head? Well, she was the one that had the fingers that they were hiding the thing in, right? Oh, no. That was a different girl. That was a different girl. Yeah. She she had – it was almost like she had like a a snail shell head or something. Oh, that's right. That's right. Hmm. And that was when the Enterprise was still under construction. So if they are going to kill him off in the comic books or in that continuity, they would have to do it. From that scene to uh, whenever the next movie starts. Agreed. Agreed. And that wasn't the launch of the Enterprise A. So they got, he could still show up in here. Oh, yeah. Definitely. No toys about it. I wonder if they will work his death into the comics. Because they'll probably just refer to it. If they acknowledge it at all, they probably the would acknowledge it in the movie, in the next movie. Right. But they wouldn't show it because obviously the actors passed on, so they couldn't act out what happened. Yeah, um, same problem they're going to have with uh, Carrie Fisher in Star Wars. Mm, mm. Yep. Yep. Cool. Okay. All right, anything else? Um, no. 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 All right. So uh, next week, um, we're going to continue with Boldly Go and get caught up there, right? So... The next uh, three issues of that, eleven, twelve, or 13. or do we want to go back to some Golki? I would rather do eleven, twelve, and thirteen. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I know, but I'm just trying to. You know, we just. I mean, love Golki. It's just if you know, we're going to be left with doing all Golki. So just eh. trying to break it all up right, a little fine. bit. So you want to do two Golki next week? Okay. All right. Well, sounds like we definitely got next week planned out. So what was it again? 25, 26? 25 and 26. Wonder what kind of wacky shenanigans the crew is going to get into that those episodes. I don't know, but I bet the, ba- the bad guy's bald. And wearing a purple suit. Probably. Looking forward to it. <laughs> okay, Donovan and everybody, thank you so much for joining us on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the